Always want to remind people that we are in a Bible-believing church. Uh, last week, there were a few folks that uh, came to me afterwards and, and uh, were a little concerned. As we had the uh, missions conference, uh, the, uh, the messages and the testimonies were given, but there wasn't the same thing that you're typically looking for. And that is you're looking for expository preaching. Now, that is fancy word in, in the seminary jargon of saying expository just comes from the word expose. Okay, and the way that that often comes is taking the Bible, opening it up, and actually exposing what is in the text. What does the Bible actually say? And uh, there's some clergy who have learned how to read into the text what they want you to hear. But that's not good exegesis. That's eisegesis. That's reading into the text. We're supposed to unpack what's already there. Expository preaching is opening up the Word of God and pulling out those truths. Last week, as I said, there were a few after church that were a little, uh, were looking for more biblical texts being exposed. Today, I want to encourage you to open up to the book of Romans. We're going to be looking at the uh, last chapter at the very end. Some of you may have already picked up that this series is going to be done uniquely. Uh, there's, I just spoke with uh, one of my fellow uh, seminarians from back in the 90s when we were at Reformed Theological Seminary in Jackson, Mississippi. And uh, he just told me that he finished up a year and a half going through the book of Romans. Uh, that seemed like a long time. And then uh, I was reading a couple of commentaries where uh, I think the fellow at 10th Presbyterian Church up in, uh, in Philadelphia, I think he did it in five years. Uh, I wanted to actually uh, uh, not take that much time. There are some that have given me wisdom and counsel to say that sometimes each sermon should stand on its own even though the context builds for you. I don't know, in this church, I haven't really done a series in Romans. In a long time, we've been here 11 years and uh, I really not have not. Uh, we're going to be doing, if you take the bulletin card in front of you, you're welcome to take it home. It is a gift for you. Uh, you're going to see that it's Romans, but there's a little bit more to the title. In reverse, uh, the reason why I'm tackling this is that we're a Bible-believing church. I want to make sure that you see the imperatives uh, and then understand the instruction behind that or the foundational to these imperatives. Basically, it's like this. When you read a book of the Bible, there's always a flow or a chart, uh, some kind of an understanding. The book of Romans is 16 chapters. You can actually sit down and read it in one sitting. It's not that big. It's one of the bigger epistles in the New Testament. You know, there's only a few other chapters or a couple other books that have 28 chapters, but the majority of them have 16 or less. Romans is one of the bigger middle section uh, things. Now, when you look at the 16 chapters, do you know what's in all of those 16 chapters? Some of you learned the Romans road. Okay, the Romans road will take you through certain verses, especially from the beginning, and walk you through, and, and it's a great way to share the gospel, you know, that we're all sinners, and then you can say, but the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Uh, you know, you can go through the text. I want to encourage you today to, to not be just stuck on the way you've done it before, but we're actually going to do Romans in reverse, Okay, we're going to go to the end and work backwards. And as we work backwards, you're going to be able to see how the foundation was already laid. And when you see it, my prayer is that you'll be hungry to know all the books. Because you see, when somebody tells you to do something, which is what's in chapter 16, most of you would be like that uh, two and three-year-old kid that says, why? Why do I need to do this? Okay, 
And the answer is found in chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. Okay, and I'm, I want to be able to show you as we go through the text, but we're a Bible-believing, gospel-driven church, and you're going to even see it as the text is proclaimed, even as we're giving you opportunity to not hide the fact that we are a part of the, the way, the truth, and the life in Christ. Uh, so let us reverently attend to the public reading of God's inerrant, infallible, inspired word as it was given in the originals. If you're looking on the Pew Bibles, you'll find Romans chapter uh, 16 is found all the way in the New Testament there, right before the, uh, right, as I said, here it is. I know how to find it. I'm trying to memorize it in my mind, but it's found there on page uh, 1,209. And uh, it's considered with the, the, the label above it, it's, it's not inspired, but, but most people know these final three verses as the doxology, uh, which comes from the Greek word that's in the text, doxa, uh, which means glory. So if you look at the text here, it says, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, I want you to know, I'm sure you won't have any problem in saying amen when I'm finally done. Especially if it takes a half an hour or 45 minutes. You'll all be there, amen! Okay, the truth is, there is an amen here for a reason. Because the people have listened and read through the whole book of Romans, and when they finally get to the end, he gives them this opportunity to respond. And I'll, you'll have the same opportunity here. Now, I read those three verses... Can you remember anything in there? I think you can. There's probably a few phrases that flow off your lips, but if you're, most like, most, most, if you're like most people, you're still not sure what's in that text. I want you to know there's a lot of stuff in there. There's more than a mouthful. You can't even do this benediction without taking a breath, for sure. Because when you, when you realize how he's wrapping up this wonderful book of Romans, he's tying a lot of loose ends together. He is weaving it, and it's like really powerful. And at the end, he finally says, Amen! Now, ironically, he does this. This is the fifth Amen in the book of Romans. So if you, if you get the, the sense from the Apostle Paul who wrote this, he's been pretty excited to be able to write this book. And by way of context, uh, this is written to a church that he hasn't been to yet. Okay, the Apostle Paul has been called by Jesus Christ. You can read about his conversion, just like we were listening a little bit about Bryce's testimony. The Apostle Paul gave his testimony in Acts chapter 9. He was zealous as a religious character, but then God got a hold of him and spoke to him and changed him and gave him a new purpose and a calling. And uh, his calling was to take the gospel to places that it hadn't been before. And in particular, he was to take the gospel to kings and to emperors. And to people, I call them influencers. You can read the testimony. It's exactly what Jesus appointed Paul to do. Now, where do you think the officials were during that era? What city? Were they all in Washington, D.C.? Okay, if you understand, the book of Romans is written to the elites, to the people who today are probably in Washington, the ones who are part of the New World Order, the ones who are trying to set up this world and do what, uh, what I call Psalm 2. 
The, the secular people, they rage and they set themselves and they counsel together. They set themselves against the Lord and against his anointed one. And they, they want to break the bands with Christianity. They want their own utopia. And they really don't want God to tell them how to do it. And that's what the struggle is in this world. You know what? Let me tell you a secret. It's nothing new. You know, right now they have some really cool tools they even have uh, things to track you and video cameras to be able to check this. They're going to have passports for you to do that or that. Uh, I mean, it's really interesting what the world is doing now to get free from Christianity. But when we look at our text today, the Apostle Paul has already poured out his heart. The inspiration of the Holy Spirit has been upon him for those 16 chapters. And when he finally comes to the end... You know, I don't think he's sitting there like saying, amen, I'm glad I'm done. I think he's saying, amen. This is quite the masterpiece that the Lord has provided his church. Now, with that context, let me read it to you again. The apostle has just finished introducing a lot of people in chapter 16. Uh, there's been over 26 people he just talked about. And now he says, it's almost like he takes a breath and he says, now to him, that is now to God, who is able to strengthen you. Now to this God, who is able to strengthen you according to, according to three things. According to my gospel and the preaching of Christ. Secondly, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed through the prophetic writings which have been made known to all nations. And then the third one, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. After he's got that expressed, then you find out him saying, yes, to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. And with that, all God's people end up saying, amen. Now, when, we, when we're studying this text today, I want you to see there's, there's, a, there's several aspects that you're going to see. There's three points. You can pick them up in the, uh, uh, in the fourth point supplement. But I'd like to begin with a, with a story that many, many years ago... Let me. It's actually 25 score and four years ago. There was a person about my size, maybe a little bigger, similar haircut, who went to church on October 31st. The year was 1517. Now, this individual was a man who had just been given a glimpse of God. And his glimpse of God changed him. Now, if you know the story of Martin Luther, you might know that he also was almost struck by lightning. You can also tell that there was a couple other things. He left a lucrative position as a lawyer and ended up going into a poverty path of being a pastor. Nevertheless, since he was a smart character, he ended up being, uh, moving up the echelons in the seminary and in the teaching and the training opportunities. And so this individual had a glimpse of God. And, and I want you to just ponder this for a moment. Everybody knows that Luther loved the text, the just shall live by, the just shall live by faith. That's part of the, the Reformation mantra. Where do you get that text? Hey, I like that. The answer would have been good if you said in the Bible or in the Holy Scriptures. Excellent answer. 
Uh, by the way, that's great when you really don't know the text. Uh, there's, there's an Old Testament text that's from Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. And there's also the Romans text in chapter 1, uh, where it says in verse 16. Uh, it's really interesting here. The Apostle Paul is saying that I'm not ashamed of, of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. And I can read it for you here. It says, uh, uh, for in it is the righteousness of God revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, verse 17, the just or the righteous shall live by faith. So what I wanted to be able to tell you is that there was a guy who got a glimpse of God by reading the book of Romans, and it changed him. I'm hoping that it'll change you too. I'm praying that it'll change me. When you have this fresh encounter with the living and true God, this is not a portrait, this is not a watercolor of Jesus. This one is a portrait of Jesus. When you look at all the content that is delivered and provided in this book of Romans, as Luther stood in front of the church doors, it'd be equivalent to coming to the glass doors out under the canopy. And I've stood there about uh, 26 years ago with my dad and with a few other clergy, and we stood at the doors of Wittenberg. They're huge wood doors. They had to be replaced because over the centuries, people had come in there and they chipped off, chipped off parts of the door so they could have a relic. So they had to replace them. And now you're not supposed to do anything with that door. You're, you know, if you touch it, you're going to be in trouble. Okay, but just standing there saying, what was it like in 1517? On the eve, they call it the Hallow's Eve. On that eve before All Souls Day or All Saints Day. He came to the door and he put up some questions. And as I like to tell my kids, and I'm telling you all too, is that in the culture you live in, ask better questions. The 95 things that he put on the door were actually questions. He was beginning to question the authorities. He was beginning, in, in today's day, you might question science. In his day, you had to question the religion. Why? Because people were leaning on their own understanding. And as he was getting into the book of Romans, as he was studying the Greek text for himself, he realized that what the world was saying and what the Bible said, what God said, weren't matching up. And so he began to ask better questions. To challenge the secular status quo. The word secular just simply means the, the day, the age. The, 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 day, the age that you're living in. And in a sense, it's, it's characterized really well by the words uh, of Jesus when he talked about the days of Noah. You remember during the days of Noah, people were eating and drinking and giving in marriage. Basically, they were having fun. They were eating and drinking and, and having fun because tomorrow we die. The philosophy of that secular mindset was, this is all there is. Carl Sagan said it so well. You know, we're just stardust. This is all there ever will be. But he was wrong. He didn't understand because he never talked to God. He never saw the truth. He was leaning on his own understanding. And Proverbs tells us that that's not very wise. There's a way that seems right to a person, but it leads to death and to destruction. It leads to alienation from God. This week I was listening to some of the news broadcasts and I heard some crazy things being said. It was so strange. Crazy words and doublespeak. That the one person said, abortion saves lives. I couldn't believe it. I, I I listened to it twice. I'm like, you're killing a baby, but you're saying it saves lives. Another one was that, um, that men can have babies and men can have abortions too. And I'm just sitting there like, what school did you go to? 
There was another one because they're wanting to spend a lot of money. I remember one quote that said, we're going to spend trillions of dollars, but it will have zero cost on our lives. What planet are we on? And then the other one with one of my kids sent me a text and they said they couldn't believe that the same people that were saying that, a, that there's no such thing as a baby in the womb were also saying that you could, you could vaccinate people that, have, that are pregnant because their babies won't die. Did you hear the, the, the contradiction? How they're recognizing that it's a baby in the womb, but they're actually saying that it's not a baby in the womb. It all depends on the agenda that they have. The one that really bothered me the most was the, uh, the quote from the newscaster down in Australia, where there was a preacher man who, and they showed his church, and I was like relating to him, wondering what it would be like if I was pastoring in Australia right now. And that one section of town, uh, they, they, they zoom in on him from a previous sermon when the church doors were open, and he starts preaching from you know, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. He said that we shouldn't forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And the newscaster comes on and she says, well, I don't know what passage he's getting that from. He says, but it's not in, in concord with the, with the way that the, the government is telling him. And then they went ahead and they showed a zoom-in thing that on the door of that church, instead of 95 questions, I think there was a QR code. Because it was supposed to show people where they could go on the internet to see how much they were going to be fined if they showed up at church. And I think it was like $10,000. It's crazy to think that that's going on in 2021. We as churchgoers are becoming numb to what's going on in this world. Many of us don't even want to turn on the news anymore. You don't even want to do a lot of interaction. And most of us have already given up having conversations at meals with our family and our neighbors. Why? Because you don't want to have controversy. You don't want to have any difficulty. Well, today's text, I want you to see that it grabs your attention, then it focuses your attention, and then it'll hold your attention. Those three things are seen in this text because it's all about God. It's all about Him. And if you look at your text, you'll see that in, in Romans chapter uh, 16, verse 25. Now to him. Okay, that is, uh, should be a capital H in my, if I was writing it, I'd put a capital H there. Because it's talking about the one who is worthy. Now to God. Now, the, the three points of our sermon are pretty simple from this doxology. The first one is about the God who is able. The second point that I'm going to draw your attention to is the God who is timeless. And the third is the God who is wise. Now, you may not have noticed that when we read the text, but I want you to see it as I read through it a little slowly again one more time, and then we'll dive into these points. But they will grab your attention, they will focus your attention, and then they'll, they'll hold on to your attention. The first one that grabs your attention is he says, To him, now to him, and I'll read it for you, who is able to strengthen you According, uh, okay, I'll just stop with that first part. Now to him who is able to establish you in my old King James. Now to him who is able. Now do you see it? That's the fascinating part. God is able. You know that song? He is able, he is able, I know he's able, I know my Lord is able to carry me through. I learned that one in Bible school probably when I was three or four. 
He heals the brokenhearted and he sets the captive free. He made the lame to walk again and caused the blind to see because he's able. Now, we see that first, to him who is able, the God who is able. And then we look a little further and we find that he's able to do a lot of things. And his whole goal there is to equip you or to strengthen you. Uh, it is to establish you. And then there's three parts that are seen next. I already mentioned there's in the Greek text the word kata, which means according. It shows three different times. And when you, when you break it out, you can say according to my gospel. And then secondly, according to the revelation. And thirdly, it's according to the command. There's three things that you're going to find in there. And within that phrase, you see that, that there is a God who, who deals with the things that were, had been kept secret, but now they have been disclosed. Now, when you realize that, that the word now is used there, it has a quality of time. The word chronos is in there, like for chronological. Now, when you start to realize it, that's why I say God is timeless Time is not controlling him. He is controlling time. And this is where I would take you to Galatians 4.4. 4. But in the fullness of time, that's when God does his stuff. Uh, Galatians 4.4 4 says it well. That in the fullness of time, God sent his son, made under, made under, uh, made a, I think it's right there. Uh, in the fullness of time, God sent forth the son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the curse of the law. It's in God's timetable. He worked it all together for good. And you'll see that in those three things, that that's what he does. He works it together for good in time. And the third element that I wanted you to pick up on is that, uh, that last part. After he finds out about the prophetic writings that have been made known to the nations according to the command. Uh, it's right at the end of verse 26. According to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. Do any of you have a clue what obedience of faith is? If I were to ask you if you're, to stand, if, you've been, if, if this describes you, you've been obedient in the faith. You know, it's, sometimes it's easier to gloss over this stuff. Well, I want you to be able to know that the, this obedience in faith is connected to, uh, at the beginning of verse 27, to the wisdom of God. That God has designed this so that it's so wise, it's so superlative, that earthly minds can't even grasp it. They don't understand the things of the Spirit of God. It's foolishness to them. But, to, but we know to Him, the only wise God, this makes perfect sense. So I want to be able to grab your attention through all of these things. So follow along with me very briefly. Uh, first, when we look at that first text, uh, look right now. That When he's finished up the book of Romans, he says, Now... In light of everything, now I want you to look more full in his wonderful face. I want you to see God. I want you to recognize that he has that dunamis power. The actual word of being able is the same word that we get from him in Acts 1.8. You know, but you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you'll be witness to me here locally, then regionally, and then globally. Okay, that's right there, but you receive the ability. It's the, the word for dynamite, dunamis. It's the exact same word that is described here. The God who has the power. He is able. It's pretty interesting there that he is the only one who can. And that's one of the parts of the title is to him and, no, and to nobody else. You cannot find the words of eternal life any way, any place else apart from Jesus Christ. You when you listen to folks who don't know Christ, their solutions for saving people is abortion. 
Their solution for saving people is reducing the population. Their, their, their salvation is to make the planet live a little longer. To try to make sure if you can do anything about the hurricanes coming, that you do that. that they even tell you that you should watch what you eat so that you don't have flatulence. Because you don't want to change the zone, the ozone layer. I mean, it's really interesting. All the things that people want to be able to save us. Glad you're laughing. But when you, when you really sit down and not get angry, but just listen to what they're saying. They don't offer salvation. We all know those that are, that are dealing with abortion uh, issues. Well, we have this clinic over in, in, um, in Georgetown. And they're very concerned about what's going on in Seaford with the new clinic coming in that's having all this government funding. It's going to be top line. It's going to be encouraging people to, to kill their babies. They're going to call it Planned Parenthood. They're going to say that they're going to be helpful. But really, they're not. They're, they're replacing parenthood. They're turning now into making decisions instead of parents. And they're actually trying to plan that you not have parenthood. It, it's... It's an interesting world in which we live. But I want you to start off with the thing that grabs my attention, that God is able to establish you. Because when you're living in this world where you have the winds and the waves, James chapter 1, where people are tossed to and fro, and they're listening to so many different voices, and, and like I said, when your own children come to you and they tell you that you need to do certain things, when your own parents come to you and tell you you have to do certain things, I always want you to make sure you listen to what God tells you to do because what God tells you to do doesn't change just because somebody says something on TV. Now, as I, as I go through here, the imperatives here is that we are to look. We are to gaze at this almighty God who has an agenda. Now, the second point there is that his agenda is going to be done in time. He is timeless. And the thing that he is doing is that he is purposed to be able to establish the faith in us. Because remember, the just, they live by faith. How do I know that? Romans chapter 1, verse 17. Remember, if you do Romans in reverse, Paul's already explained it to us in chapter 1, uh, verse 17. Now, when I look through this, the, the, the whole way of establishing us has those three things. We're going to be established. In other words, we're going to take roots in the, in the Christian ministry in three particular ways. And if you're following along, these things will strengthen you. It's the delivery of the gospel, the unveiling of the mystery, and it is the calling to a certain way of life. Now, that is what the timeless God does. In, he works in our world. He works it all together for good, Romans 8, 28. Remember, reverse in Romans? He's already said that these things are the, are the way it works. But when I look at it in, in uh, his first explanation, he says it's according to the gospel that I am preaching. He calls it my gospel. Some people might think that Paul was pretty arrogant. But that's not what he is saying. He was not going around saying, well, I'm the only one that has the gospel. You guys shouldn't go to that or you shouldn't go to that. I'm the only one. Now, you can read about that in, in, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 through 3. He says, whether I preach it or Apollos preaches it or Demas preaches it or whoever preaches it, he says, I rejoice that the word is preached. It's not possessive. It is about saying it's, it's in contrast to what everybody else was preaching in Rome. Remember, that was the big city. That was the elite place. That's where they had the educators. That's where they had the elites that had tenure in the universities. And Paul was saying, hey, they might have little bits and pieces of the gospel that they bring in, but it's not the same gospel that I'm preaching to you that God called me to preach. 
It's my gospel that has been, that has been delivered by this vehicle called Kairuso or preaching, the proclamation of Jesus Christ. You see, when you go around, and I've been trying to make a little bit of humor today about the gospels, the alternative gospels that you hear from the other politicians and even from some of the other churches. I think one of our elders gave me an article from the Cape Gazette that told me that there was another clergy person whose, whose spin of the gospel was that everybody needs to be included. You know, there's another group up the road. They call themselves universalists. They just want everybody to get there. You know, and, and as I said, there's churches that are closer to the, uh, to the uh, uh, you know, towards Rehoboth who would actually say that we just need to love everybody. The fact is, is it's great when they take bits and pieces of the gospel, but when they miss out, why would, if you just look at those churches, none of them need the cross. I got it over here. None of them are preaching the message of the cross because that requires the bad news that you need a savior. It's really interesting when you understand and you digest what's going on in the text. He says, the gospel that I'm preaching is really about the Jesus and what he did, who he is and what he did. He is the infinite God-man and he died on that cross to pay for our sins. If you take that out of the gospel, if you take that off away from the pulpit, if you close your Bible up and say, oh, we don't need it anymore, you're going to go home empty. There is no other name given among men whereby we can be saved. If you're going to be established, it's going to be in the gospel of hope that only Jesus can purchase. Now, the second thing in this, in this uh, doxology is that not only has he said that there's a legal case that's been made, that you're declared righteous, th that God supplies what needs to be done. In other words, when Jesus went to that cross and, and he said, it's paid in full, die, it was done. The justification was complete. That God's wrath was now already poured out and would never be poured out on you. And if you remember as I described what the Passover was, it was built on that principle. Judgment doesn't come where it has already been. So we understand that the first is that the gospel of Jesus Christ, Romans chapter 1 verse 16. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of it. I love it. It is so awesome to go to Romans 1.16, and that's how he starts off this whole book. After he says hi to everybody, he says, this gospel changed my life. You know, it is the power of God. It's the dunamis of God to change you. And now in his doxology, he comes right back to it, and he says, that gospel that changed me, it's, the, it's what I'm doing. It drives me to tell it to you, too. So it was according to the delivery of the gospel. Secondly, the unveiling of the mystery. Now, when you look at those things... He says, it's also according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but now has been disclosed or revealed through the prophetic writings and has been made known to the nations. I'm telling you, it's a mouthful, but let me just summarize it for you real quick for you to get it. People that were walking around in Rome were saying, Paul, we know you're a Jew. We know you went to church growing up. We know you know how to read that chicken scratch that looks like Hebrew. We don't know how to do that. We're educated here in Rome, and we're not going to buy into that, that stuff that's for the Jews. And it's really interesting that the apostle who has been called by Jesus, Acts 9, to go to Rome to be able to preach to the kings and to the, the people in the emperor's household. When Paul was reaching out to them, he says, hey, you guys... Part of what I get to deliver to you and what will establish the gospel here in, in this big city and throughout the known world is that the mystery doesn't need to be mysterious anymore. It's been hidden. People didn't understand it. They didn't get it. When they saw Jews, they just got mad. 
Man, it's just like Hitler. They didn't understand that they were the ones who were championing the, the, the lineage and the heritage. I mean, just look back. If, if you go back to Nehemiah's day, they almost wiped them out. If you go back to Esther's day, they almost wiped them out. But God preserved them. God preserved that, that lineage so that Jesus would come in the fullness of time. The mystery that was hidden was that there was going to be a Savior born. And even though it was written in plain sight, we already see it in Genesis 3.15, where it says that there would be one born of a woman who would crush Satan's head. You can go through all the Old Testament prophecies, including Isaiah, which has some great ones. You know, behold, a virgin will conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. For, you know, if you go back to some of the other ones, you'll even find in, in Isaiah 53 that he'll grow up like a root out of dry ground as, as, a, as a shoot that no, he, he has no form or comeliness. And when we look at him, we'll, we'll not think that he's so great. But he will be despised and rejected, and he'll bear our burdens. He'll be smitten and rejected even by God. And God had laid on him the iniquity of us all. Do you hear all those prophetic scriptures? I believe, though, that the Apostle Paul, when he's writing this letter, is not talking about the Old Testament text. I believe he's writing about the other texts that are circulating at this time, the New Testament books that are going around. And people are beginning to hear because the power of God from Acts 1-8 is being released. The, the, if you go to Acts 1-8 and it says that, that you shall receive power and the witness of the Holy Spirit will come through you and it'll take you to the ends of the earth. And I believe when the Apostle Paul is writing this, he says this mystery was, was secret for a long time, but now it's already been disclosed. God has already made it known through the, through the writings of the Apostles. And it's being made known to the ethnics. When you look at the text there, it doesn't mean all the 168 nations in the world or however many there are now. I don't know whether you count Afghanistan being a new nation or not. I, all those kind of things are a little bit uh, blurry to me. But it's, the Greek word here is ethnics. It doesn't matter what ethnicity you have. The mystery was is that it's not just to the Jews anymore. Paul explained this in Galatia when he says there's neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, bond nor free. In Christ, we're all one. We've become a part of the body of Christ. This is kind of interesting because when I look at our secular culture, they're all trying to make us get one in a new way. They say when there's no male nor female, they want to eliminate females. They want to eliminate, you know, the, what, um, you know, when, when you're, like I said today, with, the, with men having babies. They're trying to say that transgender can change this and this. So eventually what ends up happening is you can't even say male and female anymore. And you can't say bond or free anymore because slavery imposes all this bad. And you can't even talk about, so the economic status of people. Everybody's going to have to be having equity. But that doesn't work. See, their false gospel application, we know that in Christ... It doesn't matter whether you're male or female. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor, educated or not educated. In Christ, you become a part of the body of Christ. That's where the true equity is, not by some kind of forced, by taking from what you have to give to others who don't have, or by relabeling things so nobody feels offended, when it's, which is so very offensive. Now, I told you that this mystery is that God was going to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, that it's not just going to be held in the, in the palm of the Jewish hands. Isn't it amazing? I'm not sure how many non-Jews we have here today. But I imagine we have a majority. The third part of this 
is, is interesting, where he says, uh, uh, and by the way, if you want to understand that shift from the Jews to the Gentiles, you can read that in Romans 9 through 11. If you reverse Romans, and we'll do that a little later. The last part there, he says, according to the command. Uh, now, this command to, to have faith. I just have to tell you quick, this, is, this one is fascinating to me. God commands you to obey because of the faith that you have. According to Ephesians chapter 2, you have to realize that, that for by faith... Uh, we've been changed. Faith is a gift of God, not by works as we would boast. And, and then he says, because you have this faith, you become God's workmanship. You're created in Christ Jesus to be doing what God has purposed for you to be doing. And it's really quite beautiful when you understand it, that if this is being obedient to that command. God has put you here not to do what you want, but to do what he has called you to do. Can you see it? Before you were blind, now you can see. Faith is the operative word. The just, the justified, will always live by this. Will not be disobedient to the faith, but will fall in line. Because this is what, how we're established. The last point, uh, I had to, had to chuckle here. This last point, to hold your attention, it mentions the wisdom of God. You know, he grabbed our attention about the all-powerful God. Then he holds our attention by looking at what God did, his works. And, and now we're looking at the way. Uh, to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. I am fascinated when I think about this. To the only wise God. Whew. The apostle concludes with telling us that God is wise. And that's why I finish with this thought and then a couple of questions. Could God have done it any better? I can confess. The last couple of weeks I've been asking God, God, couldn't you do this better? Couldn't you just save people and make them nice? Couldn't you just save people and then they never go back to doing the old ways? Couldn't you just save people and the church would never have to ask for a dollar again? You know, it would be wonderful, God, if you could just... Save our kids before they turn into teenagers. You know, and wouldn't it be great, God, when, 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 there's a, when all these people are getting saved, that just naturally they vote for people who are saved, and then we'll rejoice because we have saved people in positions of authority. Wouldn't that be great? Instead, I've, I keep waking up to the reality that, that people are making decisions that are not good. And what really makes me sad is when that creeps into the church. You've heard me preach for several years now about be careful of the voices you're listening to. Because it's so easy, it's so easy to listen to somebody else's voice rather than Jesus. Jesus says, come unto me. I'll settle you down. I'll give you rest. When I look at this, the wisdom of God is that he didn't do it that way. I might want to say, God, you should have done it that way. <laughs> I'll tell you this. I think I'm on my knees a whole lot more because he didn't do it my way. If everything was going wonderful in your life, would you be praying? If you had money flowing, would you be concerned about being a good steward? You know, if your kids 
we're all that perfect, you know, would you want to come alongside and help other people who are having struggling kids? I mean, the way that God designed it is that weakness is the catalyst for us being made strong. And this is the interesting thing about the wisdom of God. I quoted for you already, and I'm, I'm just quiet in my soul, that the wisdom of God is foolishness to man. Because God chose to use the weak things to magnify himself. When we start singing glory to God, it's not because God just, like I said, presto changed everything. If you go back to the Marvel movie and you have Thanos when he snapped his fingers to try to make this perfect world, what did he do? He eliminated, what, half of the population or something like that, according to the movie? Some of you watched it. That was the utopia. But if you look at the utopia afterwards, the next movie they show you is everybody was miserable. There was sadness galore. They put up monuments of people's names so they wouldn't be forgotten. It was really kind of interesting that the utopia that he had talked about said that it was his destiny it was so empty. Now, of course, that's why they made a movie to go back in time and fix it. But we don't have that luxury to be so imaginative. In God's wisdom, he doesn't have a rewind. He doesn't have a playback. He says, this is what you need in order to learn what you need to learn so you'll be ready for heaven when I call you home. God's given you the pain. He's given you the struggles. I'm not talking about your spouse. He's giving you the difficulties of this world so that you would lean on him. Oh, the riches of his wealth, of knowledge, to the only wise God. He did this through Jesus Christ. Man, if you had been there on, on that last Passover when Jesus was being hoisted up on the cross, I think you guys, like me, would have been in tears you would have felt like the world came to an end the world the ground was shaking the sky was dark i wonder what your soul would have felt like and apart from god raising him from the dead there was no hope and apart from god raising you from death to life apart from God doing the work of regeneration in your soul, you would still be dead in your sins and trespasses, and you wouldn't be able to do what Paul says here, to be able to see the one who is able, to see the one who is timeless, and to see the one who is wise. And the response to that is, glory be to God forevermore. Forevermore. And all of God's people say, Amen. Let me pray. And as the music people come, Lord God, I do ask that you would stir our souls to look more full in your wonderful face. I pray that the things of this world will not grab our attention away. May we marvel that you have already chosen out of your wisdom to be able to reveal things that, that have always been there, but we didn't know without you revealing them through your special revelation, through the Old Testament prophets and even the New Testament books. But we thank you for the gospel the gospel of Jesus Christ, the love that he demonstrated in taking our place on Calvary's cross. We deserve to die, but you were the only one that were able to pay the price for us. The sinless one for the sinful ones. We thank you for this gospel message and I pray that it will change how we eat and drink and what our merriment is. Because it's not tomorrow we die, but it's tomorrow we go on to glory to spend our eternity with you. To God be the glory. Amen.